Off the ball. Does Lampard understand what his role is here? Oh, well, I've only been here a couple of days, you know. I can't sort out all the problems in that time. And you still think, you're not here to sort out the problems. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Saying good morning to Daniel Harris. Daniel, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Uh, big, big win for Manchester United in the race for top four. It feels safe now on the back of that uh, result. However, the injuries are beginning to stack up for them, so it's not uh, it's not plain sailing. No, I think um, it felt like when they've always, various points of the season, there have been games where you think, if United win this one, it'll be really, really hard for them to make a mess of top four. And they kept not winning that key game that would have given them an extra game's difference away from the teams with whom they're competing. But the results at the weekend, I mean, Tottenham losing their home to Bournemouth doesn't suggest they're about to put the kind of run together that will see them retrieve the deficit on United. And similarly, Newcastle haven't, they played really well against United, but they haven't been playing that well generally. And they seem to have been kind of scraping by quite a lot in games. So with Tottenham and Tottenham play Newcastle next weekend, although United are uh, taken up with the cup, it does seem like top four is pretty much sorted. It would take a significant collapse. And you're right about the uh, the injuries, but they do still have enough quality and enough firepower, as we saw yesterday, I think. Uh, Daniel, talk to me about Anthony Dos Santos, not Anthony Martial, but um, Anthony rubs people up the wrong way. He fills a lot of column inches and, and, and airtime for ourselves as well. Um, maybe because his stats haven't been as, as good as United fans would have expected when he, when he joined. Um, and yesterday's goal, ended a run of six games without a goal for him. But all of a sudden, his performances are kind of showing us why United paid so much money for him. Uh, yeah, I think we spoke about this when I was on the week before last. I I think that the thing about Anthony is that he was bought because they think he's going to be a brilliant player. He's already quite good, but I think it's more about the player that you can see he's going to become. I've, I've, I've got this piece about Anthony that I started writing probably three weeks ago and I just haven't had time to finish it explaining why I think he's good. And it feels like actually, in, in a sense, the way that he's performing on the pitch has almost overtaken me, where if you've been watching Anthony these last few weeks and you still don't think he's any good, then I'm not certain what you're watching and you're probably never going to think he's any good. But what we're seeing from him is we're seeing we're seeing great desire to run in behind and a great desire to sometimes go on the outside. Of course, he's got that thing that he can do where he comes on the inside. And when you're so good at doing that, obviously you want to keep doing it because his ability to shoot from that kind of angle is brilliant. But what you have to do is the defender has to fear that you might be able to do something slightly different. And at the beginning of the season, when it was put to Ten Hag that he doesn't like to run in behind, Ten Hag said he can do it. He's got the speed to do it. And we saw that quite a lot against Everton last weekend. But... In any event, what you see with Anthony is he gives the team balance. So, and I think Ten Hag said this as well, that he's playing in a winning team. Uh, so that tells you that he's contributing something. And what he has is he has the bravery to always take the ball and he doesn't care if he's going to get kicked and he's got attitude as well. And that gives the defenders a break. Even even if he doesn't necessarily create anything, he has an ability to hold the ball, to keep possession, to win free kicks. And I think one of the things about Anthony is we shouldn't just look at the way that he performs in this particular iteration of United's team, but think about how Ten Hag is going to want the team to play next season and the season after. And Anthony's style fits in really well with that as they move from becoming a team that's really good in transition, as they were under Ole, really good on the counter, 
to being a team that's looking to dominate games, as we saw yesterday, as we saw against Everton, as we saw for some of the game against Sevilla, where he also played quite well. What's the formation yeah. and where does he play in that? So in, when they're controlling games, how does the team line up, say, next season or the season after? Let's ignore the personnel for the minute, but what, what's his preferred formation, do you think? And um, where does Anthony fit into that? Well, we're sort of, I think we've, he's sort of moved. He started off playing, I think, the formation he wanted to play at the beginning of the season, which was with, in midfield with a six and two eights. And it sort of didn't work quite that well. The defence wasn't settled enough. The team didn't quite understand what he wanted them to do. They didn't have a lot of confidence either. So in the end, it then sort of changed to, from a six and two eights to two sixes and a ten. And that is already more of a transition-based team because you're trying to be solid and then spring. But what they are now is they're more back to a six and two eights. Casemiro and then Bruno and Christian Eriksen. Bruno's playing a bit deeper and they're looking to control possession. And one of the ways you control possession is you put you invert at least one of your fullbacks. And we saw that yesterday. And you also have a winger that can come inside and you're almost creating that box midfield or just creating overloads in the middle of the pitch that then enables you to isolate your opponent's defenders on the uh, in wide areas as they have to kind of funnel players inside as well, stop you uh, walking through them in that area. So the advantage of Anthony is that he's a left footer playing on the right wing. There generally aren't that many of those around, but it means that he's able to come in, come in field, get involved in the play. And as Aaron Wan-Bissaka is growing in confidence, he's actually able to help him, whether with overlaps or with underlaps. And that's given United numerical superiority out wide and in midfield. And I think that the reason they pushed the boat out to sign Anthony was, one, you've got to assume that Ten Hag was certain because he knew that you go and spend 90 million quid on this player and he turns out to be rubbish. You know that the only reason you're signing him is because Ten Hag wants him so much. And he and so if Ten Hag is saying, I'm prepared to state 90 million quid of my spends and also a certain element of his reputation because Anthony has played for him before. So he, he knows exactly who that player is. Uh, I kind of always felt confident that Ten Hag knew, knows A, more about football than I do and B, more about Anthony than I do. And I guess I didn't think that when, United, when David Moyes and Maran Fellaini. So it's not a foolproof system of deciding who's good and who isn't. But I think that Ten Hag knew how he wanted to play and it feels like he thought that Anthony was crucial to the way he wanted to play and watching how United play, I can see that. And to bring it back to stats, which is what Colin said at the beginning, of course you want more goals and more assists, but the team is winning and you can see the development in Anthony's game as he's growing as a player, getting used to the league, settling in England and getting more comfortable. So I think next season we'll see him improve again. Has the performance, Daniel, of, of the defence yesterday, the makeshift defence, albeit, uh, allayed any concerns over the absence of the likes of Alessandro Martinez and even Varane for a lesser extent? Um, because Maguire and Lindelof, when you look at that team, you're thinking this is a this is a Solskjaer or Rangnick back four. But yesterday's performance would, would perhaps give United fans a little bit of comfort? Um, not, not for me personally. I can't speak for anyone else. The way I see it is that Lindelof and Maguire are good players. They're good Premier League defenders. They are good enough to play for a team that gets into the top four. We know that because we've seen it. My concern with those two isn't their ability to play well enough at Forest away. Maguire started dodgily, but he played well after that. It's not their ability to make sure that you beat Forest. It's, I think, looking at this season and what's left, it's, it feels like at some point, if, if United are reliant on those two in the Cups, then they'll let them down at some point. We've seen it. We saw it against uh, Sevilla when they lost to Sevilla in the Europa League the last time in the pandemic season. And um, I mean, we saw we saw it against Villarreal as well in the final that they lost. I mean, Maguire was injured and they missed him in that game. 
but I seem to recall that Villarreal's goal had quite a lot to do with Lindelof. And if you look at the games that are left, um, those two might be good enough you know, for United to go and get a result in Sevilla in, against Sevilla on Thursday. Maguire's suspended for Brighton anyway, but I think from that game it will only be it will only be one of the max anyway because as soon as Luke Shaw's back, I'd expect to see him play at left centre back, and it'll be one of the other two because uh, Ten Hag's been quite clear about that that he sees Maguire as a right side as centre back. Lindelof is that as well, really, and Ten Hag likes to have a balance with the centre backs, so the left footer and the right footer, which is one of the reasons Shaw ended up there in the first place. So I think that those two, if United have to rely on one of those two against City in an FA Cup final, potentially, or maybe in the Europa League um, going forward as well, then that might be a problem. But in terms of finishing in the top four, we've seen that those two are good enough to do that, and that was when they didn't have Casemiro playing in front of them. So next season, um, or maybe at the end of this season, um, uh, when Rashford is back fit, assuming he gets back before the end of the season, uh, what 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 would the ideal scenario be? Probably a better question is next season. Uh, it's going to be Rashford on one side, Anthony on the other, and then a, a central striker. So the central striker is really the priority this summer. Uh, probably, I think it depends a little bit. And one of the problems that United have is that as a final two fingers, the Glazers are hampering the summer plans by trying to scrounge a few more quid out of out of potential bidders, and we still don't know if they're really going to sell at all. So. Ten Hag won't know exactly what money is available. I think that if if Cata take over, then presumably United can go and buy pretty much whoever they want in terms of money. So buying an expensive centre forward wouldn't affect the quality of the midfield player that they can buy. If it's someone different or if it's still the Glazers, then you might have a slightly different equation. It looks unlikely that Jude Bellingham's going to come to United, but if United were able to get him, he'd obviously cost a load of money you might then compromise on the centre-forward slightly because someone like Jude Bellingham, I mean, he, he's Brian Robson. You see, you, you, you spend all the money that it takes to get him, if you possibly can, I think. Otherwise, what we've seen in the last couple of games, and Ten Hag keeps hammering this point. He was hammering at the beginning of the season. Anthony Martial is basically almost the ideal Ten Hag centre-forward because the kind of player that he wants, he doesn't want a scavenger or a goal scorer. I mean, I'm sure he'd like Erling Haaland if he could get him, because he's so good that, again, if you can get him, you just do. But Ten Hag's ideal centre-forward doesn't really look exactly like Erling Haaland. It looks more like Anthony Martial in terms of style. Someone who can come short, hold the ball, retain possession, who also has the speed to run in behind, bring others into play, good finisher, can run with the ball. And Ten Hag keeps hammering this point. He, You can see he really likes Martial as a player. And just in the last couple of games, we've seen exactly why that is. Because when you have that player, it just brings so much more out of the players uh, to either side. You get much more out of the wingers. And also, if, if you've been watching the games, you can see that Bruno trusts him. The balls that Bruno's passing into Martial and then setting off, knowing that he might get some decent possession back or that it might go somewhere when it then allows him to make a third-man run, is making a massive difference to the team. So it sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, obviously, because feel like I've been saying it for so many years. But a fit and focused Anthony Martial is a really, really good player. The problem, I mean, the problem this season has actually been the fitness more than the focus. I mean, yesterday I couldn't believe what I was seeing, that United's first first goal came from Anthony Martial scavenging, scavenging possession high up the pitch. And that version of Martial is a really good player. So if United were able to rely on him next season, then they wouldn't necessarily need to spend the majority of their budget on a striker. But I'm sure that Ten Hag, ideal world, won't rely on that. And he will go and buy a centre-forward, which again, I mean, the, the most similar centre-forward who's on the market is either Harry Kane, 
but he lacks that little bit of gas and United probably don't want to deal with Tottenham and he costs a load of money. Or uh, Ferguson from Brighton, who uh, I'm sure you guys have a massive interest in, who also looks like one of those all-round centre-forwards who doesn't have a weakness. The question is whether they would want to go and spend the kind of money that it would take to buy him when he might not be ready to compete at the level that United want. Or sometimes you go and buy these young players and you think that they're not ready, but they're young and they're brilliant and they just are exactly ready to go and get involved. We understand he's a Manchester United fan as well, Daniel, so that can help. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think that I'm sure that Bournemouth, I'm sure that Brighton will, will be getting offers for him this summer. Um, I think that if they're not offers from clubs of United stature, then chances are they would want him to stay and he might want to stay because he knows that he he doesn't need to take a step before going to an elite level club. He can he, He's good enough to go to an elite level club when he's ready. Um, I think what you usually find with players is that as soon as those offers are available for them, they want to take them because you just, in football, you don't know what's going to happen. You might get injured, you might lose form and those moves might not be available to you again. And sometimes they go wrong, like say Graham Potter going to Chelsea, which didn't necessarily feel like the right fit, but you can see why he took it because who knows when that offer is going to come again. Or when Wayne Rooney went to Man United, when he was, I mean, he'd done a little bit more than Ferguson had at that age, obviously, but... He just took that offer. I remember reading an article from, I think it was David Pleat, who knows more, who's forgotten more about football than I will ever know, who was saying that Gareth Bale should have stayed at Tottenham another year because he wasn't quite ready for that level. And Gareth Bale then goes and wins the European Cup. And with elite-level talents, usually you find that when you chuck them into a pool of, of brilliant players, they manage to swim, they manage to find their way. So the other, the other kind of signing is Victor Oshiman. And I think... If I was Ten Hag, I would be more thinking along the lines of United can afford to leave Harry Kane at Tottenham. If Harry Kane stays at Tottenham, Tottenham are not going to be competing with United for league titles mm. and Champions Leagues, which is what where United want to be. He's been there all this time. Tottenham haven't won the league. They haven't won the Champions League. They haven't got that close to winning the league. Obviously, got to a Champions League final, but they they've sort of they've, they've almost got close to winning the league a couple of times. So Harry Kane, as far as United are concerned, is kind of safe at Tottenham. Whereas... Sorry, if Victor Oshiman goes to another Premier League club, that is not something that you would particularly want, I don't think. Mm. You mentioned Bruno Fernandes there a moment ago, Daniel. We had um, Kenny Cunningham on commentary for us on this this match yesterday and he was full of praise for, for Bruno Fernandes after the match. Said it's as good as he's seen him playing in, in quite some time. Back to his best in, in many ways. Like he's, he, he's playing with a little bit of consistency now, I guess, is Bruno, Bruno Fernandes. He's always been consistent. Bruno Fernandes is the only player, apart from Lionel Messi, since he signed for United, who's got 50 goals and 50 assists. The only player in world football who's done that in that time. He won Man of the Match yesterday. I think he's won 33 Player of the Match awards since he joined United. That's one every three games. If that's not consistency, I don't know what is. I agree that he's gone up a level this season, but I think that's as much to do with the team as it is to do with him. That when he played in Ole's team, who are primarily a counter-attacking team... It was basically on him to make goals happen. But I always thought that he had the football brain to play a bit deeper because he's got the long passing and he's just got the football intelligence. He sees things faster than other people and he has the ability to change what he's going to do in a split second as the ball's on his way to him. And what we're seeing now is he's just playing in a better team with better players and so he's playing better. The thing with him is also that He's always fit. I think, I think he's missed one game in his entire career with injury or, or one game with illness. That's it. And someone you can rely on to always be available and to still pulling it in. Like yesterday, he ran more, covered more distance than anyone else on the pitch. 
And I don't think I don't think I agree with Kenny in that he wasn't just good yesterday. He was good in midweek. He was good last week. He's been good almost all season. And as his role has changed, he played as a number six against Everton and he bossed the game from there. And I heard him give an interview with United, on United's official club podcast, which is really good, where he says that he thinks when he gets a bit older, that's the position that he can play. And watching him play, you, I, you can see that he should be capable of doing that. And he's okay. not someone I would ever criticise for inconsistency. I might criticise him for... He could still have done a little bit more in the very biggest games. But okay. when someone's consistently being good or almost all the other games, you would allow them that one. We've got to wrap it there. Daniel, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. See you again. Bye, everyone. Tara. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.